It Came Upon a Midnight Clear was written in 1849. Written in 1849 by a pastor in Massachusetts about a decade before the Civil War broke out. And he was really struggling. He was struggling with the lack of peace in his own life and in the world. Uh, Lots of arguing, obviously, over the role of slavery and racial disunity in our country, but also uh, a severe lack of food and resources locally in his own community. He just felt like there was a lack of peace in the world. And as he prepared to write a Christmas Eve sermon, he just couldn't take it. He couldn't take writing about the light of the world in such a dark time. And so he went to the Bible. And again, something that I would encourage you to do as you're wrestling with a lack of peace, to go to Scripture. He goes to Scripture and he spends hours, if not days, wrestling with God's Word. And he finds himself reading the Christmas story in Luke 2 over and over and over. And he finds himself comforted by the coming of God in Jesus to earth. And it compels him to write a poem that he uses on Christmas Eve, a poem which becomes the words to it came upon a midnight clear. And so here, the famous Luke 2 birth story, it's the most well-known story of Jesus' birth in Scripture, echoed in the most famous opening lines of this song. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to all, from heaven's all-gracious king. It's a song about peace, about where peace comes from and what real, true peace would look like in our lives. Here's what I want us to see, that, that we discover peace on a pilgrimage to Jesus. We discover peace on a pilgrimage to Jesus. And, and one of the things that we name out loud over the season of Advent, as we make our way to Christmas, is that we long for, we ache for peace. We long for, we ache for hope and joy and love and, and peace in our world. And pilgrimage might be a weird uh, like word to use or a weird analogy, pilgrimage. Right? But here's why I think it's a great fit. One of the definitions Merriam-Webster gives for a pilgrimage is the course of life on earth. That we're all, over the course of our lives, on pilgrimage, meaning that we're all headed towards something. And that something that we're headed towards, it steps in and it shapes our current day-to-day lives. So we're going to look at two passages in the Bible. If you have Bibles, we'd love for you to turn uh, to Psalm 122. The words will be on the screen. We're going to be in Psalm 122, starting in verse 6. I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, pray for the peace of of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. We'll stop there. So the Psalms were the ancient 
uh, hymn book of the Israelites. They were where the songs of Israel came from. And there's a group of psalms that they would sing on their annual trip, their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would sing these psalms as they ascended the mountain. They were known as psalms of ascent. Psalms of ascent that they would sing as they prepared their hearts to enter into Jerusalem. And so Psalm 122 is a pilgrimage song. It is a journey song, a travel psalm of ascent. And the Jewish word for peace, as this is a psalm about seeking peace for Jerusalem, the Jewish word for peace is the word shalom. You probably heard the word shalom used, but shalom meant more than just like the absence of fighting. Shalom meant wholeness. It meant wellness. It meant things were working as they were supposed to without hindrance. Shalom, peace meant wholeness and flourishing. It meant more than just the absence of fighting. And we know this sort of intuitively that that peace has to mean more than just the absence of fighting. So if you've ever had a fight with a family member, if you've ever had a fight with a family member, you know that peace does not come just from avoiding the fight. Peace comes from finding reconciliation, right? Because some of us have had like family members that we've been fighting for weeks or months or even some of us years. I mean, some of us have like parents or grandparents or children or brothers or sisters or uncles that we haven't spoken to in years. Here's what you know. Just because you're not speaking doesn't mean you're at peace, Right? When you think of that person, you don't think of peace. You think of disunity. And so something needs to be healed. Something needs to be flourishing. Something needs to be working the way it's supposed to. We understand that peace is more than just everyone being quiet and not fighting. Right? In fact, William Barclay, theologian, says in the Bible, the word peace, shalom, never simply means the absence of trouble. Peace means everything which makes for our highest good. Peace means the world and our lives working like they're supposed to. And look, this is really important for us to understand as we read anything in Scripture, but especially like this passage in the Old Testament, is that the Jewish people in the Old Testament believed that peace in the world would start when peace came to Jerusalem. So it's not just this nice thing that they're seeking for peace for Jerusalem. They believe that when Jerusalem is experiencing the peace of God, the peace of God is on for the whole world. So we're going to turn to another passage, Isaiah chapter 2, in just a few verses, starting in verse 2. So Isaiah 2 says this, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. So this is Jerusalem, right? The mountain of the Lord's temple is Jerusalem. It will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. All people on earth will seek it out. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Stop there. So I have personally never taken a pilgrimage. Maybe you've gone on a pilgrimage. I do have several friends who have walked the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is a 500-mile pilgrimage. The traditional route is across Spain to, to end up at the shrine of the supposed burial site of one of the saints of the New Testament, St. James. And so it's a 500-mile journey across Spain. What I know about a pilgrimage is that no one does it on accident. 
No one has ever walked the Camino de Santiago by accident. It has been an intentional choice to walk that journey towards that destination. And that intentional choice has changed people's lives. Like the journey changes the way people live in their everyday lives. In fact, uh, I looked up at this really amazing theological source called Wikipedia. And, it's, <laughs> and it says, a pilgrimage is a journey often into an unknown or foreign place where a person goes in search of new or expanded meaning about their self, others, nature, or a higher good through the experience. It can lead to a personal transformation after which the pilgrim returns to their daily life. A pilgrimage is an intentional journey that you go on You're pointed towards something, and that journey transforms the way you live in your everyday lives. And so as we're pointed towards something, we are transformed. I want you to see the pilgrimage language in Isaiah 2. All nations will stream to it. People will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. We may walk in his paths. It's pilgrimage language. It's journey language that that we're supposed to go on this journey that's meant to transform our lives as we're pointed towards the right destination, that it would transform the way we live. And the destination for pilgrims in this passage, the destination for peace, to seek peace is Jerusalem. Because remember, they believed that once Jerusalem had peace, then the whole world had access to peace, that God's peace would start in Jerusalem and it would go out to the whole world, that Jerusalem is the epicenter of God's reign of peace. In fact, Jerusalem even means city of peace. So they had to go to Jerusalem. Now, let me bring this full circle because in Psalm 122, In Isaiah 2, we see pilgrimage language. Let's go back to it came upon a midnight clear. Who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. That sounds like a 500-mile pilgrimage, doesn't it? Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. The road is long and full of potential discouragement, but you are not alone. And in fact, there's supernatural power. God is helping you. For lo, the days are hastening on with the ever-circling years that progress in time is marching and moving on. God's people are still on a journey, right? We're on a journey just like these Old Testament pilgrims who are making their way to Jerusalem, but our destination is not Jerusalem. Our destination is what the song calls heaven's all-gracious king. So if we want peace in our lives and the world, Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the epicenter of God's reign of peace. He is our destination. And in fact, it still starts in Jerusalem, but it's not about a city. It's about a cross. It still starts in Jerusalem, but it's about a cross. Colossians 1.19 in the New Testament in Scripture says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Shed on his cross. 
This is how God makes peace. God makes peace by taking all the things that break peace in our lives and taking them upon himself and showing that they are insufficient and not powerful enough. He breaks all of the things that cause a lack of peace in our lives and the world. He takes them upon himself on the cross. And it's easy for us to think about making peace or seeking peace really in just two modes, right? And the one we already talked about, which is sort of a flight mentality, it's, it's getting out, it's, it's being quiet, it's being passive, it's letting things go, it's just sort of ignoring or walking away. But the other way we try to make peace sometimes is by fighting. We try to make peace by, by defeating the enemies of peace in our own lives, right? We try, we try to defeat or to crush or to vanquish anything that we think stands in the way. We wanna fight with the enemies of peace, but fighting with the enemies of peace never actually leads to peace. And that's intuitive, I think, but we don't get it. We often will find ourselves trying to crush those who oppose us or that we think stand in the way of peace. But I believe there's a third way that's not fighting or flighting. The third way is to walk towards Jesus, to walk towards the one who helps us experience peace and engage in the work of peace. So instead of learning how to fight or to flight, we learn that our attempts and the outcomes are not what defines our ability to get peace. What defines our ability to find peace is our willingness to walk towards Jesus wherever we find ourselves. If you go back in the passage in Isaiah 2, just a couple of verses later, it, it says something really profound. It talks about how all these nations have gathered at Jerusalem and God has settled all their disputes. And it says that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will take up, not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. When God brings his peace, the instruments of war are not only no longer needed, they are transformed into instruments of peace, of shalom, of flourishing. And it's true for us. Before Jesus, we are, were instruments of disunity in the world. But once we have been transformed by our pilgrimage towards Jesus, we are transformed into instruments of peace wherever we find ourselves. He has taken that which stands between us and peace and he has removed it himself. And he doesn't give us like five ways to be more peaceful. He gives us himself. And this is what C.S. Lewis says, that God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. It's not on us. It's not on our shoulders to take the enemies of peace and crush them. We turn to the one who has taken the enemies of peace on his own powerful shoulders and shown that they are not enough. You, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who need Jesus to take our burdens upon his shoulders. What is life's crushing load for you? Where are your enemies to peace? Where do those enemies rear their heads? What's getting in the way of you experiencing the peace of Christ? I know for me, I will often, uh, I'll find myself trying to find peace through a screen. 
And some of you know exactly what this looks like. Like you've had a long day, a hard day, a hard conversation. You're trying to avoid that conversation, that email, whatever it is. Your, your escapism through scrolling, right? So I get on my phone and I go to social media and I think that's going to bring me peace. Right, And so I've had a long day. I just want to rest. I sit down on the couch. I start scrolling Twitter where I learn what's wrong with the world. And I start scrolling Facebook where I learn that everyone's mad about everything. And I start scrolling Instagram where I, I learn that my life isn't as cool as everyone else's. <laughs> and then I feel really peaceful, don't I? Like I, There's a lot of peace in my soul at that point. What is it for you? Where, what is it for you? What, what are you seeking peace in that ultimately becomes a crushing load on your soul? What are you seeking peace in that becomes a crushing load on your soul? Maybe you need to be reminded that it's not on you to find peace. It's on you to walk towards Jesus and accept the peace that only he can bring into your life. And when you find yourself in your workplace, be reminded that you're on a pilgrimage to Jesus and therefore your life is not defined by whatever outcome, whatever goal, whatever achievement, whatever raise, whatever it is. Your life's not defined by that and therefore that thing cannot give you or rob you of peace. When you find yourself in school and you're reminded that you are on a pilgrimage to Jesus and he's the one that brings you peace, no grade no team, no social life is the thing that can ultimately give you or rob you of peace. When you're on a pilgrimage in your home, when you're at home in your family and you're on a pilgrimage with Jesus, you know that no vision of a perfect family that you can put on a Christmas card will be the thing that can give you or rob you of peace because you're not pointed towards that, you're pointed towards Jesus and he's the only one who can bring you peace. You're on a pilgrimage with Jesus. Pastor John Mark Comer says it this way. People all over the world, outside the church and in, are looking for an escape, a way out from under the crushing weight to life this side of Eden. But there is no escaping it. The best the world can offer is a temporary distraction to delay the inevitable or deny the inescapable. That's why Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. He offers us something far better. He offers his apprentices a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity with ease at his side, full of love and joy and peace. Peace isn't something that we achieve or earn. It's not something that comes from inside of us. It comes from making our way to Jesus. We discover peace on a pilgrimage to Jesus. And this Advent, we're all on that pilgrimage. We're all on that journey to the manger, to the cross, on our way to Jesus. The peace of Christ is wooing us on a journey, a journey to the cross. This past week, uh, on Monday actually, it snowed last weekend, and on Monday, the roads were kind of slick in Minneapolis, and I was taking um, one of my kids to school. And so uh, early Monday morning, driving up by the school, and um, there's a hill right there. And so as I'm going up the hill, I get about halfway up, and I realize the cars in front of me are all stopped. And so I stopped, because I can't go anywhere. And then I can't get started. I can't get going. And so I'm right outside of, like, drop-off. The freshman in my car is very mortified, um, 
but my, the car is just like spinning out. It's not going anywhere. It's starting to slide backwards. There are dozens of cars backed up behind me honking at me. I can't go anywhere. And I'm just, I'm just I'm a little freaked out. And, uh, and finally, these Good Samaritans, they, they came over and they, they pushed my car up the hill. Um, and I felt really, they were like falling down in the snow and like pushing my car. It's really heroic of them. Um, and here's what I realized though, that when the car was stuck, I was okay. When I tried to go, then my heart rate really like shot up because I couldn't go anywhere. Right? So then I, I would stop, and I would start sliding backwards, and I could stop the car. When I was at rest, everything seemed fine. But I couldn't leave my car there all day. Right? I just could, I couldn't. Uh, I had to go. I had to go forward. So I think for a lot of us, peace often looks like just parking it in the midst of our troubles. But I think that's not what we're made for. That's not what God wants for us. That's not the way to peace, right? That's just taking a break. If we wanna actually get to the place where we're, we're experiencing God's peace, we have to go forward. We have to go on the pilgrimage. We have to take the journey towards Jesus. We can't just put it in park. We have to move towards the cross. We have to move towards Jesus. That's what I hope for. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for your life, to move towards Jesus, to experience the peace that only he can bring. Amen. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and lead us. We're gonna have just a little time of reflective prayer this morning as you consider what peace or even a lack of peace in your own life might look like. And so I just wanted to, as a response, just to let us just sit for a moment in prayer and, and reflect. And so as the band plays behind us and as we kind of get ready to uh, get ready to sing some in closing. I just wanna lead us. So if you would, just take a moment, take a deep breath, close your eyes, and lay your hands open for me. Just take a deep breath, lay your hands open. I'm gonna walk us through a few, a few prompts, a few prayers. So take a few deep breaths. Maybe you're in a season where you sense life's crushing load. If, if you feel life's crushing load, I want you to feel the weight of it in your hands right now. Just feel the weight of life's crushing load. And I want you to tell Jesus where you are with it. Tell him how it feels. Tell him what you're struggling with. Feel the weight in your hands. But I also want you to feel Jesus carrying that burden with you. That you're not carrying it alone. If you're here and, and you've been using other things to try to find peace, like consumption or substances or devices or experiences, and it feels like you've been chasing down peace, but it all keeps falling short, I want you to feel the weight of that. Feel the weight of that burden in your hands. But I also want you to feel the weight of Jesus carrying it alongside of you. Hand that burden to him. Share that burden. And maybe it's the lack of peace in the world that's weighing on you. Maybe it's um, divisiveness in our country. Maybe it's uh, tornadoes ripping through a state. Maybe it's uh, 
abuse and all the different things that we see on the news that just weigh heavy on us, if you would just feel the weight of the lack of peace in our world. But also feel that Jesus is carrying that. And I want you to imagine giving the burdens of your life and of the world over to Jesus, trusting that he is far more capable of carrying it than you are. God, would you bring us a peace that passes all understanding, that we can only know through you, experience in your love. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, amen. Would you stand and sing with us in closing?